0: hello welcome to episode four of kindred spirits book club the podcast where two grown-ass ladies geek out about anne of green gables i'm kelly gerner and i'm joined by my co-host and kindred spirit reagan duffy hello Today we're going to start our character studies of the people in Anne's world. So, who is our kindred spirit for this episode, Reagan?
1: Today, we are going to be talking about Marilla Cuthbert. She's a Spencer who, through a series of wild miscommunications, mistakenly ends up with Anne. After deciding to adopt Anne with her bachelor brother, Matthew, Marilla is the main audience for all of Anne's escapades throughout the book. She's a bit of a reader stand-in, and often we, the reader, experience Anne's scrapes as they are told to Marilla by Anne, rather than witnessing them firsthand. So Marilla's reactions to Anne's stories are how we best get to see Marilla's growth and development throughout this book. And aside from Anne, she's the character we come to know the best. She has this beautiful character arc of moving from duty and responsibility to joy and love. For our quote of the episode, why don't we start with a quote about Marilla as we dive into our in-depth exploration of her.
0: When the book begins, who is Marilla? So here's what we see from Mrs. Rachel's point of view in the first chapter. Marilla was a tall, thin woman with angles and without curves. Her dark hair showed some gray streaks and was always twisted up in a hard little knot behind with two wire hairpins stuck aggressively through it. She looked like a woman of narrow experience and rigid conscience, which she was. But there was a saving something about her mouth, which, if it had been ever so slightly developed, might have been considered indicative of a sense of humor. Right away, we have this distinct picture of Marilla, and right away we get this hint of this hidden sense of humor within her. She doesn't look like the picture of motherhood, which we often associate with softness and curves and warmth. She looks foreboding, not welcoming, in this portrait. And we also have a clear picture of her strong moral center that sometimes verges on rigidity. That leads us to our theme of this episode story club and the theme of Marilla's character arc, motherhood. We will be looking at how the experience of motherhood changes Marilla throughout this book. This is a great topic for Reagan to speak on particularly as she is not only a mother to a young girl but she also has many years of experience working in community mental health and in teaching parenting classes. I have been telling her to write a parenting book for years. Now, speaking just for myself, I don't have quite that much experience, but hey, being a dog mom is also a form of parenting. It is definitely a form of parenting. And you know, I'll get
1: back to you on that parenting book someday. You know what? Let's wait till my kid is an adult and I can see whether or not it actually Whether worked. it
0: worked. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when the story begins, Marilla is an old maid in her late 50s or early 60s, living on a farm with her brother Matthew. Marilla is brisk and practical. She is a no frills kind of lady. When she ends up with Anne by accident, her first reaction is in the practical. There's just no use for a girl at Green Gables. The plan was to adopt a boy, old enough to help Matthew with the heavy work on the farm. And in return, they would provide him a good safe home and an education. Marilla is not thinking of mothering here in terms of love and joy, but of duty and responsibility. Over time, we see Anne's effect on Marilla. We see Marilla grow more open-hearted. We see her embrace her latent humor. We see her grow to love Anne with a deep, pure, unconditional parental love. As we start our story, Marilla occupies a space outside of the normal expectations for women of her time. She's neither maiden nor mother. And yet the quickness with which she's able to break out of that mold to come to Anne's aid is really fascinating and speaks to something deep inside Marilla that has just not yet been brought out i wonder if because marilla was so outside the mold for traditional avonlea womanhood that she felt she could do something that others might interpret as risky or foolish like taking in an orphan child in a way she kind of has less to lose We do see Marilla start to change quite quickly once Anne is in her life. And the first place we see it is in the ride to Mrs. Spencer's, ostensibly to return Anne, and then the decision to not give Anne to Mrs. Blewett.
0: And as they're riding over to Mrs. Spencer's and Marilla asks about Anne's childhood, I think that it is. Anne's quite sad childhood experiences um, that thaws Marilla's heart quickly and I maybe that's also combined with a spark of interest in Anne particularly Marilla's very interesting right and Marilla thinks she's odd but she can't help but be interested Marilla also takes into account Matthew's desire to keep Anne noting that it isn't very often that Matthew sets his heart on something So it seems like her practicality is warring with her emotions right away. Marilla knows it's not practical to keep Anne. She won't be able to help Matthew with the more rigorous farm chores. But that experience with Mrs. Blewett gives Marilla the excuse to keep Anne. Maybe her heart wanted to keep Anne, but Marilla couldn't let the practicalities go for no reason at all. The prospect of sending Anne to the drudgery of Mrs. Blewett's house gives Marilla a ready excuse to keep Anne that neatly sidesteps what Marilla might have wanted. Marilla can turn keeping Anne into a responsibility and not just a selfish desire. And it's that word, responsibility, that's really at the core of Marilla's turnabout here. Marilla might not be in touch with all of her emotions, (laughs) but she does understand duty, responsibility, and she understands what she owes to her community. Marilla can square her obligations to this child in those terms, but even then, Anne surprises her. On the way home from Mrs. Spencer's, Anne slips her hand into Marilla's, and this is Marilla's response. Something warm and pleasant welled up in Marilla's heart at the touch of that thin little hand in her own. A throb of the maternity she had missed, perhaps. Its very unaccustomedness and sweetness disturbed her. She hastened to restore her sensations to their normal calm by inculcating a moral. So already, Marilla is starting to change. That little bit of joy is seeping into her sense of duty as she begins this journey into motherhood. But it's notable that she doesn't trust it. She doesn't trust those tender feelings. And she quickly pivots back to her job to impart a moral education to Anne. But we see that this is Marilla's first step into motherhood and the first step along her character arc.
1: By the time we are three weeks into Anne's stay at Green Gable's, Anne has already had her blow up and reproachment with Mrs. Rachel and the incident of bedecking her flowers on her first day at church, and she's met Diana. Marilla is willing to admit in private to Matthew that she is glad they have kept Anne and that she's becoming very fond of her. She's still focused on her duty to impart morals to Anne. The text even tells us outright Marilla was as fond of morals as the Duchess in Wonderland and was firmly convinced that one should be tacked on to every remark made to a child who was being brought up. That is a statement about the duty of parenting if I ever heard one and it's relatable. I can definitely think of lots of times I've had to catch myself from trying to make a lesson out of some story my daughter is telling me and I have to make myself stay in the moment and remember that the lessons she's going to learn best are the ones that she pulls out of her experiences, not the ones that I tell her she's supposed to get from her experiences. But it's hard because sometimes the lessons are sitting right there and it's hard not to wanna just pull it right out and make it plain. So I can feel like I'm actively teaching
0: my child. I mean, I've had that experience even as a non-parent. Sometimes you listen to a kid tell you a story and you're like, oh, well, that's why we don't exactly, you know, climb on trees or break this rule or whatever. Exactly. And what did you're we so learn right. from this? Not only does that make you an extremely not fun, fun aunt, um, but you're right. Like Anne, you know, children have to experience the world themselves and figure out their own lessons from it.
1: And I think Marilla, as kind of a beginning parent at this very first stage, doesn't know that yet, doesn't know that some of the secret of parenting is doing it in this more roundabout, backhanded way and giving kids the opportunity to learn what they need to learn from situations. So she doesn't know that yet. So she really feels like she has to be very upfront and
0: active in imparting morals to Anne. And what I think is really interesting, and we do talk about this a little later on, is that Marilla starts to trust her instincts around Anne and Anne's ability to sort of decide her own life. And it's interesting how their relationship shifts and how Marilla's sort of, I guess, comfort in being a parent shifts when she's able to do that.
1: I think you're right. But already, As much as Marilla's trying to squash it down here in this very early stage of their relationship, love is starting to sneak in. And not just love, but joy in the relationship she's starting to build with Anne. It says right here, Anne cast herself into Marilla's arm and rapturously kissed her sallow cheek. It was the first time in her whole life that childish lips had voluntarily touched Marilla's face. Again, that sudden sensation of startling sweetness thrilled her. She was secretly vastly pleased at Anne's impulsive caress, which was probably the reason why she answered so brusquely.
0: Oh, Marilla, that is such an interesting response, right? She has this brief feeling of joy and she quickly just covers it up with brusqueness. And is that for Anne's sake? Is that out of responsibility for Anne? Or is it for her own sake? Is she afraid of what indulging in sweetness means for her? This is Marilla wrestling with the way that motherhood, like it or not, changes you. I think she thought that the influence would go one way, like she would influence Anne. She wasn't expecting Anne to change her. I want to know, what is she so afraid of here? Perhaps she thought she was too old to change. At this point, she was so set in her ways. And that can be comfortable. You know who you are. And maybe having already passed through the time when she would typically be parenting among her peers, She didn't realize the effect that mothering would have on her.
1: And I think most people may understand in the abstract that parenting changes you, but aren't prepared for the specific way they change in parenting their specific child. I don't think you Mm -hmm. can really know what that's going to be like until you're in it. And I think it surprises people all the time I think it surprises parents all the time Marilla is still quite focused on her duty to bring Anne upright the responsibility of it and that comes into play in their next big moment in their relationship which is about the amethyst brooch when Marilla thinks that Anne has lost the brooch and is lying to avoid getting in trouble she thinks it's a fearful responsibility to have a child in your house you can't trust this is the hard work of parenting. It's not easy. And Marilla was dropped in the deep end. She didn't get to like gradually build up to this moment. She doesn't even know Anne very well at this point either. She's only been in her home about a month. She doesn't even know herself as a parent yet. She probably hasn't gotten a chance to think about what she would do in a scenario like this. Marilla's also trying to manage her own emotional reaction to losing something precious. And she's trying to teach Anne a lesson about responsibility and honesty, which are worthy virtues. And she's trying to take into account Anne's age and history. That's quite a balancing act. Marilla does reject physical punishment, which is rather progressive for her time. Figuring out what is appropriate and useful discipline rather than relying on punishment is still one of the most common parenting conundrums. How do you both help a child learn what they need to learn while understanding them and managing your own feelings? Uh, Honestly, anytime I've done parenting classes, anytime I've worked one-on-one with parents about their kids in my professional life, this is a huge part of that parenting journey. We as a culture are really evolving in the ways that we understand what's useful for kids. And our understanding of what's appropriate discipline and what punishment looks like is still evolving. There's all sorts of cultural implications around it. There's all sorts of baggage that people are bringing in from the way that they were raised. And it's all complicated by the fact that a lot of things around discipline and punishment are the
0: long game, not the short game. It's tough. It's tough. And it's emotional. One of the things that you point out here is that Marilla is trying to manage her own reaction to losing. I mean, Marilla is not a very fancy lady. This is probably the one nice piece of jewelry she has. Yeah. Um You know, and the fact that she's able to hold it together as well as she does is pretty remarkable. And I think speaks to a really strong consistency of character with Marilla. She's not going to lose it, right? She's very grounded. Yes.
1: She's not parenting here out of anger. I mean, she's angry, but she's not parenting from the place of anger. She's not coming in yelling or raging at her. She's being very deliberate in the way that she is approaching this situation with Anne.
0: She's being really thoughtful. And the thing that seems to weigh heaviest on Marilla, of course she's sad about the loss, but the thing that seems to weigh heaviest is that Anne lied to her and Mm -hmm. whether or not she can trust Anne.
1: And that shows up so much in parenting situations where people will often talk about my child lied. And that feels like a betrayal when your child lies to you. It's also a very standard part of childhood development. Uh, I could that's a whole, that's a conversation for another day. Like children lying is developmentally appropriate.
0: Just what they do. Just it what is. They,
1: do. They, li- they lie like rugs, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that feeling of being betrayed by your child lying to you is something so common across parents across generations.
0: Mm hmm. It feels personal. Yeah. And when
1: the mistake has been uncovered and rectified regarding the amethyst brooch, Marilla owns her part. She asks her own forgiveness of Anne and tries to repair by sending her off to the picnic with a full basket of treats. Marilla doesn't know it here, but that's a part of parenting that, again, so many parents struggle with. It's so hard for parents to apologize to their children, to admit when they've made a mistake. I think they often fear that admitting a mistake means their child will lose respect for them or they confuse respect for obedience. And as uncomfortable as it was for Marilla, she really
0: nails this parenting moment. Good job, Marilla. (laughs) I wonder if some of that parenting win here is informed by the fact that Marilla doesn't really have a lot of ego around the idea of being a perfect mother. Mm, I like that. She already knows she isn't one. She will never be one, right? Because she didn't have children along with the rest of her peers. You know, she's not married, all of these things. So her response to this very challenging moment becomes an extension sort of of her natural humility and authenticity, her natural self, her natural reactions. And I don't know how much she's worried about living up to some 19th century ideal of perfect motherhood. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would also just say, this is kind of an aside, but I am really grateful that I had a passage like this as an example of good parenting to reflect on in my own childhood. I'm not sure that I understood it in the context of what we might now call gentle parenting, but this section did teach me that just because adults were adults, they could still make mistakes and they still had to own up to their own faults, which is making me wonder, Reagan, did you ever experience a situation like this as a kid? So I did. And it's
1: funny because it tracks awfully closely with what happened here with Anne and Marilla. I was thinking about this. It may even have been that I was watching Anna Green Gables, the mini series, at the time that this happened.
0: Oh, that's so funny.
1: So, I probably was maybe actually relatively close to Anne's age, maybe 10 or 11. My mom had a workroom upstairs, and we had this very small black and white TV. And she would, you know, sometimes watch TV while she was working on craft projects and whatnot up there. And I had been allowed to watch something up there alone that was different than everybody else was watching or what other people were doing, something that maybe my sister wasn't interested in. And there's part of me that thinks that it might've been watching Anne Green Gables, like again. What had happened was a day or two after that had happened, my mom had noticed that on her work surface, which was like an old unfinished door, it wasn't like a nice table or anything. Somebody had doodled on it in permanent marker and like written my mom's name, like in fancy curly Q lettering and I had been up there alone. So she was like, you did this. I'm really upset. This is not your table. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't. And I had been caught lying in the past, but this time, Kelly, I really didn't do it. It was really a moment of my parents were extremely upset that I was lying, that I wasn't owning up to it. I remember there being this like my mom writing me a letter because (laughs) of like how disappointed she was. And they were contemplating like not letting me go on like a Girl Scout
0: event or something like that because I wasn't owning it. And you know what eventually- I'm ha- so sad for baby Reagan here. I'm so sad for baby Reagan not being believed in this moment.
1: To be fair, I think they had caught me in some lies because again- the- Yeah, but that was then. That was then. <laughs> this moment, right? And I was feeling extremely betrayed. Like, and I yes. was feeling extremely betrayed. Like, no, I didn't do this. And what happened was eventually my younger sister confessed. She mm. held out for a while. And I think mm. like when it came down to like they were actually going to take Girl Scouts away from me, she owned up and it had been her who had doodled it. And so it was like they apologized to me. I do think that there was maybe a little bit of but also you've
0: lied to us in the past. So you can kind of see where we got this backhanded lesson. I don't know, man. I don't know. That seems that that all seems pretty harsh. But I'm glad that like all is well that ends well, right? Yeah. And that your sister sort of confessed and your parents apologized to you. That's like really the, I think the interesting takeaway from this passage as well with Marilla and Anne and just establishing trust between them. When yeah. someone does make a wrong move, they can admit it. Okay, but I actually I have to ask you about your your story. So yeah. your sister was doodling your mom's name. Yeah, on her desk. Yeah, well, my was mom she, like trying to like. <laughs> was this like sneaky? Was she thinking no. that, like her that her mom would think that she had doodled it herself? No, it was this old unfinished door that was like this counter work surface for her, and That's it was very covered... artsy, by the way. Yeah,
1: yeah, it totally was. It was covered, I'm sure, with like hot glue gun burns and paint yeah. splatters and stuff like that. And I think she had. Been in there and maybe grabbed one of my mom's calligraphy pens and was didn't even think of it as something that she was doing wrong, but was like playing with. See, yeah. like I'm writing her name on it kind of fancy. Like, I don't think she was in particular trying to be a graffiti artist. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ask because I was pretty mad at her,
0: yeah, understandably
1: um, for letting me take the fall. So, we didn't really
0: discuss. <laughs> why, what made you think of that? But I also think it was that kind of,
1: if I, I was think 10,
0: need, I think we need your sister as a future guest on this podcast to explain what was going through her mind.
1: I think, you know, <laughs> if I was 10 or 11, then she was seven or eight. So I'm sure it was just a moment of,
0: she really didn't think about it. Yeah, probably she was not. kind of like, sure. That's so funny. I just love she's doodling your mom's name. That's so <laughs> random.
1: I think that's what was weird because if she had doodled her own name, duh. Then we would have <laughs> known. We would have known. known. <laughs> Oh, man. I don't know whether she was maybe (laughs) imitating my mom extremely fancy handwriting, like imitating my mom's handwriting and like playing with it. I don't know. Okay,
0: maybe she was practicing your mom's signature to sign on like a field trip form or something like that. Altogether possible. I will
1: neither confirm nor deny that I ever forged my mom's signature on anything.
0: Oh man, I I know for sure that I did. But in my in in defense of baby Kelly, it wasn't because she wouldn't have approved me to go on the field trip. She totally would have. I just was a mess and forgot to give her the paper. <laughs> it was it was a last minute like, "Oh crap, it's due today." <laughs> it's and... like the day of the field trip, I'm like signing my mom's name. Yeah. She knows I'm going. She packed me a special lunch. <laughs> right. <laughs> she doesn't disapprove of this. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) bringing us back
1: from our poor parents.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Marilla's next several big parenting moments are notable as well. After the Slate incident at school and being punished unjustly by the horrible Mr. Phillips, Anne declares that she will not go back to school, but will learn at home instead. Marilla knows Anne well enough by now to know how stubborn Anne can be, especially when her sense of justice is roused. So instead of fighting, Marilla goes to get advice from Mrs. Rachel. And Mrs. Rachel advises against pushing it with Anne and advises Marilla to give Anne some space to come around on her own instead. Marilla takes this advice and stays quiet, giving Anne the chance to make her own decision about returning to school. Obviously, school attendance was not compulsory then as it is now, but still, she does a very modern thing by trusting Anne's own emotional process here. Marilla also stands up for Anne with Mrs. Barry after Diana gets drunk on current wine, which may be the first time that Anne had someone really in her corner. That's very powerful. And then when Anne finally does decide to go back to school, Marilla wisely doesn't say, I told you so. Which, good job, Marilla. Also,
1: very tough parenting moment in that way. I think also these all are good examples of... Marilla getting into figuring out what the responsibility of motherhood looks like in terms of parenting Anne specifically, right? These are all very practical things how to manage Anne not going to school, what to do about Mrs. Barry, all of those kind of pieces. Those are things that Marilla can kind of concretely do for Anne, I think. And that's her learning to actively parent her, that it's not just about imparting morals, but how do you help your kid through some of these difficult moments? How When do you stand up for her? When do you give her space to work it out on her own?
0: And how do you meet your kid where she is? I think that that moment with the amethyst brooch, especially is kind of a turning point because after that, Marilla realizes that Although she was afraid of having a child she couldn't trust in her house, she then realizes that Anne is a child she can trust. Yeah. And once that trust is established, Marilla can let Anne take the lead in some of these moments. Or Marilla doesn't feel as beholden to always doing maybe like the most morally upright thing in any given situation, you know. And instead of forcing Anne back to school for the sheer principle of it, she can say, you know what, Anne had a bad experience. She was embarrassed. This teacher behaved wrongly, and I'm going to let Anne come around in her own time, you know. Which is pretty impressive that she's parenting not just from a place of Marilla's own relaxed moral standards, but also parenting specifically to the kind of person that Anne is. Yes, I
1: agree. And again, I think that is one of the challenges that is common for most parents is learning to parent your child, not from examples in a parenting book, not what your neighbor does with their child or your sister does with her child, but learning how to parent your child and who they are in that moment. We can see that even this early in her relationship with Anne, Marilla is not fully letting herself experience the joy of parenting. She keeps on smothering her laughter, I think, or hiding her affection with Anne with rules or lessons. And maybe it's because she thinks it's a distraction from the work of parenting. Maybe she fears she won't be able to do the hard things around discipline and boundaries if she gives into that joy. Maybe she doesn't know yet that joy is the, reward you get for all of the hard work that it goes into raising kids doesn't you know it doesn't really tell us in the book so we can only sort of assume from from our lives but i do think one of the struggles of parenting is trying to find that balance between doing the hard and the responsible parenting task and the joyful one i know that's something that i've certainly struggled with it would be great it would be awesome to be the person who constantly brings joy to my daughter's face, to say yes to every ask, to protect her from ever experiencing any negative emotion. But I also have to do the hard things. I have to help her learn how to do things on her own. And I have to let her experience the hard consequences of her actions. I have to make sure she brushes her teeth and I have to set limits. And I think Merla is pretty good at doing the hard tasks, maybe because, Since she never saw herself as a mother up until this point, she doesn't have to feel crushed when Anne is angry at her. I think for a lot of parents, I know for me, that's part of what makes it hard is, you know, when your kid is really mad at you and your kid is angry at you, that hurts. But Marilla has a much harder time with the softer moments. It's like she fears that the softness will lead to no limits or boundaries at all. And I don't know where that comes from for her or whether that's coming from the way that she's managed to get through this world by tamping down the softness and focusing on what has to happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point, right? Marilla has moved through the world for the past 50 odd years by being rigid and stoic and, you know, always walking the moral high ground and giving into the joy of parenting is a threat to that. Yeah. I
1: wonder even if at the time whether that was really discussed, the joy of parenting.
0: Oh, I'm sure it wasn't, right? I mean, people were pretty much just having kids that way that have extra help on the farm. <laughs> well, I think also that maybe joy
1: is was seen as extra, right? That was, that was a, that was like a bonus, but it wasn't necessarily one you were planning on. That's not why you became
0: a parent. Joy is like a special occasion emotion. It's oh. like for holidays only. Yeah. Holidays and church picnics. Holidays and church <laughs> picnics. Like ice cream. Yep. <laughs> so all of these experiences in Anne's first year at Green Gables helped Marilla grow into the role of Anne's mother. There are lots of references during this first half of the book that Marilla is hiding a smile at Anne's antics or having to go outside to laugh where Anne can't see her. Marilla still feels the responsibility of parenting, of helping Anne become more serious and steady, of providing stability and a grounding force to Anne. And it's giving Anne room to realize that she can make mistakes and grow from them and she will always have a home at Green Gables. Exactly a year from when Anne comes to Green Gables, there's a small scene in which Anne is studying in her room, and we get the lovely passage we talked about last episode, reflecting on how Anne's presence has infused Green Gables. We also get a little conversation between Anne and Marilla. It's clear that Anne has become helpful to Marilla during her sporadic headaches, and when Anne asks Marilla if she's sorry she kept Anne, Marilla tells us this. No, I can't say I'm sorry, said Marilla, who sometimes wondered how she could have lived before Anne came to Green Gables. No, not exactly sorry. She can't bring herself yet to tell Anne more than that. But the reader knows that Anne has changed her, opened her. Doesn't that exchange
1: make you laugh a little bit? The vast difference between what Marilla can bring herself to tell Anne Not exactly sorry. Not exactly sorry. And the depth of the emotion that she's experiencing. She can't imagine how she lived
0: before Anne came to Green Gables. I mean, it does, it is funny in that, you know, wonderfully like bittersweet Ella Montgomery way, but it also kind of makes me want to cry. A little. (laughs) Of all people, Anne is the kind of person who can receive that sentiment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people might be uncomfortable, but Anne would have received it in exactly the spirit in which it was intended. And I mean, Marilla does get there with Anne, but it's amazing that Marilla is at at this point in the book, Marilla knows that Anne has changed her life and has changed her irrevocably. And she's just kind of just chuffing Anne on the shoulder being like, so glad you're here, kid. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's all good.
1: (laughs) And I think it's interesting. It says she sometimes wondered how she could have lived before Anne came to Green Gables. And I think that's very much the way, and again, I'm speaking of my journey in parent- in motherhood, which is not it's not everybody's journey, but it's hard it can be hard to remember the time before your child. you know that it happened, but it just feels like a different era
0: Mhm
1: It's not even that you're in a different chapter of a book, but you're on a different bookshelf, and all those other books that came that were part of your life before that are still there. It just feels like it's been a really long time since you read them.
0: Well, as Marilla experiences becoming a mother, becoming a parent, just it sort of reorganizes the molecules that make you, you, Mm. they become centered around a completely different set of priorities.
1: I think that's a really great way of phrasing it. Motherhood as this reorientation. It doesn't, mean that you're not who you were before but it does reorient you in a profound way and marilla gets to experience that shortly after this exchange comes the moment when anne breaks her ankle walking the ridge pole on a dare damn that josie pie as marilla catches a glimpse of mr barry carrying anne over the hill clearly hurt we have this passage at that moment marilla had a revelation In the sudden stab of fear that pierced to her very heart, she realized what Anne had come to mean to her. She would have admitted that she liked Anne, nay, that she was very fond of Anne, but now she knew as she hurried wildly down the slope that Anne was dearer to her than anything on earth. So this happens about halfway through the book and it really reinforces that now, Anne is an indelible part of the Cuthbert's lives. She's a daughter of Green Gables in every sense. And this is where you can really see that sea change that has taken place in Marilla. Not only is it obvious that she has moved from the duty and responsibility to raise Anne right to the kind of love that infuses an ideal motherhood, it's that she's acknowledged that change to herself here. And that's the biggest moment that she's admitting to herself how much Anne truly means to her just as she fears she could be deathly hurt and could be taken away forever. So maybe this this is that moment where she tips over from having duty and responsibility warring against love and joy into letting herself experience it as more of a balance that loving Anne makes her a better parent not a weaker one. So this also coincides with or Let me rephrase that. I don't think it so much coincides with, I think this kick starts Marilla starting to ease up on her restrictions of Anne. After Matthew gets her the brown dress with puff sleeves, Marilla starts making Anne's dresses more fashionably. Marilla has a moment walking home in the spring that is practically poetic as she admires the natural beauty on display, subtly showing how Anne's reverence for beauty is affecting Marilla. Marilla allows Anne a bit more freedom. She lets her go to Miss Josephine's for several days and openly tells Anne that she was lonesome the four days that she was gone. Slowly, Marilla's reserve is being eased away by Anne's enthusiasms and joy. Marilla's letting herself experience more joy in Anne's company now instead of always feeling like she has to be teaching her a lesson or reining her in. The second half of the book is also when we get to see how the duty and responsibility Marilla feels in motherhood shift from moral education to more practical and concrete actions. As Anne's intelligence and academic abilities bloom in Miss Stacey's classroom and Anne gets new educational opportunities, Marilla feels far more comfortable displaying her love for Anne by paying for her education and encouraging her studies. This is both a joy and a responsibility for her. So it sort of hits that sweet spot. She can show her love for Anne with these tangible experiences. That feels easy to do in a way that saying, I love you is never going to be for Marilla. Even showing her love for Anne by bringing her lots of pretty dresses to wear at Queens is an easier way for Marilla to demonstrate her love than saying, I love you.
0: Reagan, I really love the point you made about you know, Marilla has this defining moment where she sees Anne injured from her fall on the ridgepole. And all of a sudden, everything that she thought about motherhood that she was just trying so hard to hang on to, right? Motherhood is a duty, motherhood yeah. is an obligation, motherhood is about inculcating a moral. All of that just flew right out of the window because there was her greatest love experiencing pain and she experienced the fear of losing someone you love so deeply it's not that the pendulum swung wildly from duty and obligation to love and joy but this is where that Marilla realizes that this is a force that isn't going to be stopped. Mm. She can't fight it anymore. She's been trying to have duty and obligation win out. She's been trying to maybe find a balance. But at this point, I think she's starting to realize, I just have to give myself over to loving this child. There's nothing left to do.
1: I think you're right. And I think what maybe she's starting to realize is that these are not opposing forces, right? They're not. They work together in concert and that actually duty and responsibility are better when they're mixed with love and joy.
0: Truly loving someone means doing your duty by them, means being responsible toward them, means protecting them, means healing them, means making sure that they get everything they need, whether it's the appropriate education for their skills and abilities, or whether it is pretty dresses to wear in class because you know that's going to bring them happiness. Mm -hmm. In the second half of the book, you start
1: to see more of Marilla's reactions and internal thoughts. Use the word love. You get this powerful passage as Marilla watches Anne dreaming by the fire, two and a half years since Anne came to Green Gables. The lesson of a love that should display itself easily in spoken word and open look was one Marilla could never learn, but she had learned to love the slim gray-eyed girl with an affection all the deeper and stronger from its very undemonstrativeness. It's from this point on, you start really seeing how much Merla is couching it in as love to herself, not responsibility, not obligation, not even amusement, not even fondness, but feeling more comfortable using the word love when she's
0: letting herself think about this internally absolutely. She kind of had all of these euphemisms for the affection she felt for Anne, but by this point in the book, she knows and the reader knows um, that this is love. This is true maternal love. It's really, really precious to see. Yeah. And then as Anne grows up, Marilla has that particular sort of melancholy sadness that comes with parenting and loving a child, that sadness of watching them move away from you. The book tells us that the child she had learned to love had vanished somehow, and here was this tall, serious-eyed girl of 15 with the thoughtful brows and the proudly poised little head in her place. Marilla loved this girl as much as she had loved the child, but she was conscious of a queer, sorrowful sense of loss. And of course, children are supposed to move away from their parents, from needing their parents, but all the same, there is a loss that comes from that. and marilla's sense of that loss is only because there is so much love there you only grieve because you love right
1: and i do think it is it's one of those powerful contradictions of motherhood that you throw yourself in so thoroughly to loving some someone that needs you so much and yet every milestone along the way Is one in which they move a little bit further from you and they're supposed
0: to. And right, those, all those milestones are the signs you're doing a good job. Yeah. Right. Those milestones of them moving away, that's all telling you, you know, great job, mama. You're raising a great kid. Yeah. But at the same time, you lose a little bit. I
1: remember Mm -hmm. having that feeling. This is so silly when I think about it. Of course, now, like now she's almost 10, and I can look back and be like, that was that was so silly. But when she was a baby, Alice had Alice got her teeth kind of late. I mean, okay, I think compared okay. to a lot of babies, not extraordinarily late, but lateish. And when she finally started getting her first tooth, maybe kind of close to her first birthday, I remember being like, yay, she's not going to be toothless forever. And also <laughs> like, oh, but I love her smile exactly the way it is right now. And if she gets all her teeth, will I still love this like Her smile as much when it's not this like gummy little baby smile. And of course, I do. Of course, I do. Of course, I love each new step, but you know, each new iteration of her leaves behind a little bit
0: of the last iteration that I loved so much. Yeah. And there's kind of that like wistful connection to like the kid she used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Reagan, you're not going to miss the braces stage quite as much when that's over. Definitely not. (laughs) I <laughs> uh, cannot cannot wait cannot wait but I that is not in the near enough future for us so anyway we I, we're moving now into the final segment of Marilla's character arc and this is really going to come with the death of Matthew so just as Marilla and Anne are celebrating Anne's successes at Queens and preparing for her to attend Redmond in the fall Matthew's death changes everything that they've planned all of a sudden you can see how deeply marilla has changed so much so that she's essentially come full circle first we get to hear marilla tell anne i love you as dear as if you were my own flesh and blood and you've been my joy and comfort ever since you came to green gables these words from someone who you know half a book ago was saying oh i'm 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 glad you're here nope i'm not sorry we didn't send you back <laughs> nope not sorry not sorry And then when it's revealed that Marilla's eyesight is fading and that the bank where their savings were has collapsed and Anne decides to stay home and teach instead of going to Redmond, Marilla is initially against this, but the fact that she's eventually able to accept Anne's help speaks volume about how motherhood has changed her. She says to Anne, you blessed girl, I feel as if you've given me new life. I guess I ought to stick out and make you go to college. That's that old sense of duty and responsibility creeping in, right? Yep. She goes on and says, but I know I can't, so I ain't going to try. I'll make it up to you though, Anne. That sense of responsibility is still there as it should be, but now it's tempered with love and the joy that comes in a beautiful complimentary relationship with your child where you can both work together toward the family's mutual benefit. And at the end, we even hear from Mrs. Rachel Lind, who... (laughs) Now her depiction of Marilla has changed somewhat. And she now says Marilla Cuthbert has got mellow. That's what. Doesn't that say something significant about how Marilla has changed on this
1: (laughs) journey? Certainly nobody would describe the Marilla from the first several chapters as mellow. No, not (laughs) not even a little bit. I love what you say there about how Marilla and Anne can have a complementary relationship and share in the family's mutual benefit. Because I think that's the beautiful thing about the parenting journey is while a parent and child are never going to be equal, I think as children grow up and become adults and they have that opportunity to joyfully help their parents and to offer to their parents, some of that same responsibility that their parents felt towards them. I love that. I think that's a beautiful moment. I don't know about you. Did you ever have this experience? The first
0: time I bought my mom lunch? I was going to say the exact same thing. The first time I took my dad out for dinner. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like, no, I got this. I got this. I I get paid now. I can pay this. Don't worry about it, dad. It felt like
1: this evolution of our relationship, not again, not ever exactly equals, but now we're both adults together. Mm -hmm. And it feels nice when your parent can lean on you a little bit, just like, you know, that you can lean on them a little bit, but you can also stand on your own two feet. And I think that that's the lovely payoff for all of the hard work that can go into parenting.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad that Anne and Marilla get to share that with each other. Motherhood is going to change
1: anyone who experiences it.
0: Mm -hmm. It's
1: a profound experience. Of course, it's going to have a profound effect on you. And Marilla, who is surprised by motherhood, was not anticipating this kind of change at this later stage in her life. At first, she distrusts it. Marilla tells the reader that her love made her afraid of being unduly indulgent Indeed. She had an uneasy feeling that it was sinful to set one's heart so intensely on any human creature as she had set hers on Anne. And perhaps she performed a sort of unconscious penance for this by being stricter and more critical than if the girl had been less dear to her. But the journey to motherhood that she takes on this book by not just loving Anne, but allowing herself to enjoy Anne, opens her world in so many ways that she realizes that the vulnerability of loving Anne doesn't take away from her duty and responsibility. It just enhances it. This quote about Marilla's uneasiness with love is such a telling character trait for her. And it really explains so much about why there's such a contradiction between what Marilla says to Anne how Marilla acts to Anne, and how she really feels about Anne. Marilla almost seems to hide her vulnerability behind that strong puritanical idea that to enjoy oneself or to delight in earthly things is a sin, and that kind of strength of feeling should be reserved for God. It comes out in so many ways for Marilla, from the way she keeps her home so simple and unornamented to the fact that Fashionable clothes are such a sign of vanity for her, to her lack of interest in town gossip. But even though she couches her disapproval in the language of religion, I think it speaks to that vulnerability that comes from loving someone or something. And parenthood is one of the most vulnerable states of being.
0: So this really makes me think about how Marilla's Presbyterian faith and her devotion to God it comes before anything else for her. And she almost seems to use it to keep the world at arm's length. She expresses these sentiments sort of like, well, if it's God's will, who are we to question him whenever she's faced with a tough moment? I was curious about this. So let's take a little detour down the birch path and talk about Marilla and her faith. As we discussed Marilla in preparation for this episode, Regan and I kept noticing how Marilla's strong Presbyterian faith grounded her character. And since neither of us are Presbyterians, and especially not late 19th or early 20th century Canadian Presbyterians, we wanted to learn more about Marilla's core belief system. Maud herself was an active Presbyterian. She taught Sunday school. She played the organ and directed the church choir. She married a Presbyterian minister and was essentially a real life Mrs. Allen. Like Maud herself, uh, her characters are mostly Presbyterians and church activities play a significant role in all of her books and Anne of Green Gables is no exception. Presbyterianism is a branch of Christianity. It grew out of the Protestant Reformation. So it began with Martin Luther's 95 Theses nailed to the church door in 1517. And as Luther's disagreements with the doctrine of the Catholic Church gained traction throughout Europe, many other philosophers and theologians also weighed in, among them, John Calvin. Ooh, this is a quick flashback to my morals and ethics class, sophomore year, college. (laughs) AP Euro history for me. Yeah. Nice, nice. Presbyterianism is essentially an offshoot of Calvinism, particularly as traced through the Scottish Calvinists. Knowing what we know about Maud herself and the Scottish diaspora in Maritime Canada, it's likely that the kind of Presbyterianism that Maud practiced would have been directly related to Scottish Calvinism. And then similarly, of course, we know that Marilla and Matthew are of Scottish descent. So you noted earlier that Marilla's attitude toward earthly things is almost puritanical, and sure enough, the Puritans were also Calvinists, so that's very much aligned with Marilla's theological orientation and her religious beliefs. As a sort of basic premise, Presbyterianism is a Christian faith. Presbyterians believe in the Trinity, they believe in the inspiration and authority of biblical scripture, and they believe in the inherent sinfulness of human beings, the atonement of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the second coming of Christ. I think what's really interesting here and notable for Marilla's character particularly is that Presbyterians, particularly of this time, believed that human beings are inherently sinful and only through good works and atonement in life will they be welcomed into heaven? Particularly in the Scottish Presbyterian tradition, which is what Maud practiced and what we can assume is the basis for Marilla's religious beliefs, sermons were not read. They were delivered extemporaneously. The minister's job was to give a sermon that inspired their congregation to be good, even in the face of that natural tendency to be evil. And ah,
1: that- Right? Okay. It's all making
0: sense now. <laughs> uh,
1: I see how this all connects. That makes so much sense for the way that Marilla is initially viewing Anne. Absolutely. She's... How important it is to teach her morals and teach her
0: virtues. It's in a way the most important thing, right? Yeah. If Marilla believes, if, Marina, if Marilla has this deeply held belief that all humans are innately sinful, it is perhaps one of her most important jobs to teach Anne to be a good person and to atone for that inherent sinfulness. That makes me think a little bit of when
1: we talked about trusting a child to take the lessons that they need from their experiences. This is the exact opposite. Literally, it
0: could not be a less
1: Calvinist idea. Exactly. If your natural tendency is towards evil, you will not take the right lesson out of your experience so you need somebody to directly teach you because your own your
0: own natural tendency is not going to do it oh okay yeah, it's really very telling. And that also really explains the job of the minister because they believe that everyone is born inherently sinful and that anything natural, anything instinctual or anything that you feel or say or think or do that's not filtered through a religious framework was at best suspicious and at worst a pathway to hell.
1: Oh, <laughs>
0: it's not just puffed sleeves,
1: it's right. a pathway to hell.
0: Pathway Ooh. to hell, yes. Wow. <laughs> So the minister, the congregants, the church elders called the presbytery. Their job was to inspire people to think of their religious faith first, and to frame their worldly experiences within biblical morality. And that's the only way they had to even have a hope of saving people. And I think it's also interesting to think of Anne of Green Gables, not the person, but the book, in that same context. While ministers were charged with inspiring goodness in their congregants, ministers' wives like Maud were often charged with inspiring goodness in the children. Maud herself would have been very familiar with Presbyterian morality stories in which a wicked young boy or girl sees the error of their ways and is saved and redeemed by their faith. We can see Anne of Green Gables, I think, as a kind of spin off of those stories in which this wild girl who is so connected to the natural world around her becomes an elegant young lady and a credit to the community through the civilizing influences of rigid, moral Calvinist Marilla.
1: Ah, uh, so this is how Marilla was approaching Anne. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether. Anne surprised Maud as she was writing her that the book
0: did not stay in this narrow vein, right? There has been some interesting scholarly research on Maud in that way where if you're thinking about Anne as as sort of a spin-off of a morality story but then essentially you do have someone who's so completely herself and the mm. character truly does have a life of her own you can see Maud herself sort of reconciling her own connection maybe to the natural world her own connection to the truth of her own heart with this very doctrinal religious upbringing interesting yeah but i think for marilla that obligation of saving Anne from the orphanage may well have even been eclipsed by the tremendous duty of saving Anne's soul. Marilla is troubled by Anne's vanity and her impetuousness, believing that Anne's focus on such worldly cares will do nothing to redeem her in the eyes of the Lord. Marilla thus sets a strict example, dressing Anne plainly and scolding her for being too fanciful, even when Marilla herself is charmed. And therein lies the Ark of Marilla, yes marilla is disturbed by anne's lack of religious training but she also comes to understand that anne quote knew and cared nothing about god's love since she had never had it translated through the medium of human love and so demonstrating love to anne becomes part of marilla's holy mission wow
1: that's really interesting And when you know this more, it frames Marilla's art so clearly. It really makes a lot of sense in a way that maybe I did not understand Marilla as well as a child, because all I could see was the rigidity or the, yeah, why wouldn't you buy your daughter a pretty dress
0: if she wanted one? Yeah, you see Marilla as, you know, without this, without this sort of understanding of her faith, you see her as just sort of like a strict old lady who is just sort of like grumpy for no reason, but she has a reason, right? Like she Mm -hmm. truly believes, you know, in her heart of hearts that like the only reason that we are here, the only reason that people are here on this planet is to redeem themselves from their like original sin and earn their way into heaven. That's what Marilla has been doing all this time. And all of a sudden Anne rolls up and Marilla's like, oh my gosh, do I have my work cut out for me? <laughs> you gotta get to heaven, right? And it becomes a very different. It, it's a different way of looking at the book. And like I said, there, there have been very interesting scholarly articles published and books written about how Anne and Marilla sort of are allegories for sort of different types of religious expression, right? Marilla being the very strict, upright Calvinist, and Anne being a sort of a romantic natural of the world, sort of like an inspired by a Thoreau type and how those two things sort of intersect where there's overlap and where there's tension.
1: How fascinating. How It fascinating.
0: is. Yeah. This I, I, I just love how many levels this book works on, right? Really? Well, let's put on our puffiest puffed sleeve dresses
1: and talk for a quick moment about our favorite Marilla moments in
0: Anne of Green Gables. Kelly, what you got? I'm going to jump right in and say, for me, it's Marilla's sense of humor, which I know may feel like a little bit of a stretch, but she tries so hard to be this solemn, upright woman, but sometimes Anne just gets the better of her. And those are always my favorite Marilla moments. As we've talked about, you do see these early signs of this. She's got a little hidden smile here and there, but there is a great moment when Anne, totally besotted with her new bosom friend, Diana starts kind of out of nowhere by the way starts weeping inconsolably over the realization that someday diana will be married and will leave her this is so funny to me but also like i totally get it kids are like this they'll just like get something in their head they'll work themselves up into this massive tragedy and before you know it they're having an absolute like knockdown sob fest on the couch and you're just sitting there like i'm sorry what just happened (laughs) (laughs) and so the the book tells us that marilla turned away quickly to hide her twitching face but it was no use she collapsed Collapsed on the nearest chair and burst into such a hearty and unusual peal of laughter that Matthew, crossing the yard outside, halted in amazement. When had he heard Marilla laugh like that before? (laughs) That's a
1: great moment. Yeah. (laughs) And for me, it's similar. I do love watching Marilla and Anne's relationship grow throughout the book, it's so satisfying. And one of my favorite things about Marilla is how she's kind of a sarcastic foil to Anne's fanciful ramblings, especially earlier on. Mm -hmm. Anne can spend pages and pages and pages going on about her imaginings and using all of her purple prose and the girls' gossip from the schoolhouse. Anne is thoroughly enjoying all the details of the drama of it all. And Marilla can respond to it and puncture Anne's long-windedness with a dry nonsense and sending her her out to collect the eggs. Yep, (laughs) They're just such opposites, but at the core, they understand each other. And that's what is so satisfying for me that two people who come into the book seemingly so different and so kind of opposing forces actually come together and balance each other in this
0: beautiful way. Absolutely. Because they both represent such extremes, They, to use Mrs. Lynn's words, they mellow each other. They do. Well, previously we ended our
1: shows with an Inspired by Anne, but today we're going to talk about things that are inspired by Marilla.
0: Kelly. Okay. I want to talk about my Inspired by Marilla pick is Crossback Linen Aprons. I do not know what took me so long to start wearing aprons when I cook and bake, but if this is not something that you already know, let me tell you, it's a game changer. (laughs) It turns out Marilla and Mrs. Lind knew what they were doing by actually covering their regular clothes with aprons. I don't know why it fell out of fashion or, you know, just seems like something we don't do as much anymore, but let me tell you, I am now living a life free of random spaghetti sauce stains on my clothes. And in particular, the kinds of aprons that I love are those kinds of vintagey crossback aprons that are made of linen and canvas and other fabrics that would not feel at all out of place in the kitchen at Green Gables. Love it.
1: I love it. I think my Inspired by Marilla recommendation fits right in with yours, Kelly. I'm going to recommend the Anne of Green Gables cookbook. It's by Kate McDonald, who is one of Maude's granddaughters. I actually had this cookbook when I was a kid. I had the original version that has all illustrations. There's a newer edition now, but it's the same book that I think includes photographs. I made a bunch of really delicious things out of it, especially the shortbread and the ruby tea biscuits. I made those quite a bit. In fact, this may have been the first book I baked regularly out of. So I highly recommend it. All of the recipes come within accompanying inspired by passage. There's even things like poetical egg salads to take on your poetical picnics.
0: Oh, I need a poetical egg salad for sure.
1: Absolutely. Next time we all get together, I will definitely have to make some things out of this because I just got another copy of it. I don't know where my original oh. was from, lost in you know, 8 million moves in the past. But I, so I bought another copy of it. Shout out to thriftbooks.com. So I can make some of these recipes with Alice soon. I really think that she, we enjoy baking together. And I really think that she would love making
0: some of these recipes too. So we're going to do I have to say, Ruby Tea Biscuits sound amazing. Invite me over. I would like some of those. I will try not to get too drunk on raspberry cordial, but I make no promises.
1: There is a recipe for raspberry cordial in there perfect perfect i really do feel like maybe we'll have to have some sort of anne of green gables themed luncheon party sometime soon
0: yes that must happen yes Yes. you can
1: wear you can wear your apron
0: oh apron puff sleeves the whole thing i'm going for it do it well
1: kindred spirits please join us next time as we discuss our next kindred spirit diana berry